<clears throat> hey, what's going on, everyone? So, let me adjust this thing really quick. Play around with the adjustments. I'll just wait a little bit for a few people to jump in, and then we'll rock and roll on our weekly live. Boom. Okay. Levy, let me know. Good to see you here. Let me know if I pronounced your name correctly. I'm pretty terrible with names. If you haven't noticed already on a bunch of my live, Jeremy, good to see you as well. I saw a few other people come in. So just having my traditional Saturday organic coffee, always in glass or stainless steel, up to you guys. Richard, good to see you as well. Hope you had a good week. Hope it wasn't too busy. Okay, so I'm going to try my best with this name, Joshua. Let me know if I got that right. I know I probably got that wrong. Joshua. Okay. Cool. Joshua as well is in, in the house. Thank you for spelling it out. I'm glad some people are helping me with the names these days. So it's always, honestly, sometimes even on assessment calls, just pronouncing people's name, Yozua. Remember, English is my second language too, you know? So it got to give me a little bit of flexibility there. Uh, let me know if I got it right that time. Yo, send me a voice memo on Messenger after. I'll get it right. <laughs> I'll get it right one of these days. So, Tony, good to see you as well. Uh, okay, you guys, so let me get my notes here and we'll rock and roll. Remember, you guys, these calls are for you too. So if you have any questions at all, just go ahead and uh, text them below and I might have the answer. I might not, but I'll try my best to answer it. I have been doing this for like 17 years already or so. Uh, so most likely I'll have like a reasonable answer that you can kind of take action on. Uh, but the focus of the call, uh, the focus of the call today is to talk about injury prevention and how to not get injured while trying to achieve your health and wellness goals. Uh, Joel, good to see you. Larry as well. Terry, uh, good to see you. How to not get injured in the gym because the gym or just physical exercise or, you know, physical fitness goals or whatever athletics it's like a double-edged sword. It could help you, but it could also hurt you if done incorrectly. You know, a lot of injuries happen in the gym. I think last time I looked into it, uh, even in the military and the police department, 90% of injuries that occur in those departments uh, happen in the gym, not out in the field. You would think a lot of police officers, obviously they do get injured, you know, but statistically speaking, in terms of the the amount of injuries that occur 90 percent of those injuries do tend to occur in the actual gym working out which is kind of sad and i've been injured myself as well i'll talk about that in a little bit uh during our call also but it, that is sad because a lot of people do go to the gym to you know improve their appearance and become healthy and stuff of that sort and it ends up doing the opposite oftentimes especially if not done correctly uh, or if it's overdone or if not properly implemented, because oftentimes it's not what you do, but how you do it and the people end up getting injured, then it becomes, you know, not so fun to work out, especially once the injuries start stacking up or like wearing down of the joints and arthritis and overuse starts building up. All of a sudden it becomes, um, it becomes a place associated with danger and pain and stuff of that sort and not very pleasant to work out anymore. And a lot of people quit, especially um, into older age, uh, especially if they don't take care of themselves. In older age, you should be spending more time on physical activity, more time on mental health and rest and stuff of that sort. 
but uh, usually people are so beat up by the time they get into their 40s and 50s, they begin to have negative associations with exercise because they've accumulated too many injuries. Uh, Bob, good to see you. So we're going to go over the video today on how to avoid these injuries and make sure you're staying healthy enough to be able to work out into hopefully your 60s, 70s, and 80s. I even have a 79-year-old client right now in Canada, and he's still working out five or six days a week, no problem. But you just have to approach it in a very smart way. And also, just to give you an idea, I mean, my grandmother um, lived off-grid her whole entire life and lived to be 87 years old. And very, uh, without going to the doctors a single time and very physically active her whole entire life and still able to maintain that physical activity into her 80s. So it's possible. You just have to obviously stay mentally and physically well your whole life. It can't be this kind of, um, you know, sprints of doing it well for like two or three months and then falling off the bandwagon for a few years or a few months. It has to be a consistent thing, but it has to be done correctly so you're not uh, wearing yourself down and destroying yourself in the gym, okay? Because you could easily fall into that pattern and easily get injured. And even if it's not a major injury, uh, you could easily just put too much wear and tear and, and damage on your joints. And then after a while, you start developing arthritis uh, or degenerative discs in your back, and which could lead to arthritis of the facets as well. And it's just it's just not pleasant to work out when you're in constant pain, obviously. So so here's some, I'm, I'm going to go down just the list here. It's not in any order of importance. So it's just like randomly scattered here. But just a lot of these things are going to be important to consider when looking to stay injury free. And um, let's go, let's go over one at a time. And again, if you guys have any questions at all, feel free to ask right away and, and we'll go for it from there. So first and foremost, it all starts with a, uh, well, it doesn't all start, but one of the important variables, once again, not in any specific order here, it, it comes down to good program design. And this is super important. And this requires obviously a thorough assessment to know the person's background, if they have had injuries, if they currently uh, have had injuries, but have recovered from them or have had injuries and are currently in uh, like a sensitized state, so the tissue happens to be very sensitive and still able to fall into cycles of pain easily. Uh, what their starting position is in terms of their posture, if they have, you know, excessive upper cross and lower cross syndrome, et cetera, et cetera, or flat neck or military neck or sway back, or uh, uneven and symmetric, unsymmetric hips, for example, like a hip hike or shoulder hike is very common, especially with people that don't have a proper desk adjustment at work and you see their one of their shoulders tends to be higher than the other, which creates imbalances eventually in the whole entire body in a long enough time frame. So just these little things, uh, as well as, you know, are they currently physically active, uh, et cetera, et cetera, are important to consider. But a good program design is going to be key. And you're not going to be able to get this off of uh, just watching like a random person online it really needs to be well thought out and it usually is broken down into uh, quarterly goals, which are then divided into monthly goals, which are then divided into weekly goals, which are then divided into daily goals and how you structure uh, your daily workouts and stuff of that sort. So I found great success with the general population of doing a undulating periodization program. Of course, how you set this up is going to vary heavily from person to person and their current starting place and their goals and stuff of that sort. Uh, Mayor, good to see you. 
thank you for jumping in all the way from Netherlands. Hopefully it's going well there. Never had a chance to visit, but definitely looks um, super beautiful. So good program design is important to consider. Some things to be careful of is following people online that haven't ever met you, that are even possibly actually competent. But the problem is they once again never met you. And if they never met you, they don't know your exact goals, your exact starting place. So it's really tough to give you actual advice. So the best uh, scenario I would recommend for you guys is, you know, reach out to someone that is uh, that does have a knowledge in that or become your own mechanic and study that area extensively. Uh, but by studying, I mean, actually pick up books, you know, go to PubMed.gov, read up on studies. And most importantly, uh, probably take courses from time to time as well. I've done many of those over the years. And most importantly, like implement and see what works well for you and what helps you achieve your goals. Because at the end of the day, also, you don't want to get too stuck in scientific dogma and too static in that area and want to be flexible enough to be able to customize things to your specific needs. So on top of good program design, another thing to consider is good exercise selection for your goals and your starting place. So first you have to be obviously clear on what your goals are, right? And then based on that clarity, you can select, uh, you can establish good program design and you can decide on a good exercise selection. So there are a myriad of tools that can get you to where you want to go and you want to select which tools will get you there the fastest and have the least, least amount of risk associated with it. So for example, I don't know, I'm just going to pick a random exercise here, but let's say you wanted to build very, uh, beautiful and developed quads, right? The upper leg muscle. So you have a few exercises to select from here, quite a bit actually, but just the, the some popular ones are like the barbell back squat, um, the barbell front squat as well. Uh, then the myriad of variations of heel adjustments. So you can, you know, uh, have an elevated heel to an inch, two inches, et cetera, et cetera. Also you have the machines. So the leg press machine, the hack squat machine, uh, the leg extension machine, you could do a single leg, double leg, uh, sumo stance, narrow stance, uh, knees in front of the toes, in the middle of the foot, etc., etc. I mean, there are a million variations and you would need to select which variations work best for you personally, okay? And then also determine uh, the risk to reward ratio. So barbell back squat, of course, nothing wrong with the exercise, uh, but it is a very technical exercise that I feel pretty much nine out of 10 people actually shouldn't be doing until they're thoroughly educated on proper biomechanics and then also um, correct a myriad of postural imbalances that they most likely have. So for example, it wouldn't make sense for a person with um, upper cross syndrome, for example, that has excessive shoulder slouching, excessive forward head posture, uh, to be loading that, to be vertically loading that posture uh, with external weight before correcting that, because then you're just reinforcing and loading pathology, right? And then also typically if a person has a lot of these um, dramatic postural deviations, 
they typically don't know how to move properly or they're very sedentary, so you have a lot of passive tissue creep, et cetera, et cetera. So the, t so the chances of injury actually increase tremendously. So the first goal would be actually to correct all of that. And then after that's corrected, to teach a person proper movements, so in this case, the squat, or other, as Paul Cech would say, primal pattern movements, just very, very basic movements of how to lunge properly with just body weight first, right? Because you need to be able to do it with body weight successfully first before loading uh, with external weight. Uh, Mohammed, Kyle, Hal, good to see you guys, before loading with external weight. So that needs to be done first with proper balance, okay? And then once that is achieved, then of course the person can start loading their back with weight and then progress appropriately. But it doesn't make sense like if you have a person with poor posture and can't even balance on one leg, for example, to start doing a barbell back squat right away. All right. So some other things to consider in terms of uh, program selection is maybe if you want big and beautiful quads, maybe a barbell back squat is going to be good for you. But maybe, you know, like a leg press would be a great exercise for you too, or a hack squat or a leg extension. Uh, because, or a combination of those, because one big advantage of doing a leg press, for example, uh, versus doing a barbell back squat is you don't have a tremendous amount of weight that has to go through your entire spine to be able to train your quads. And typically then you would have to load the weight quite a bit for your quads to be able to get exhausted versus doing something like leg press the weight pretty much goes straight to your quadricep muscles. The weight is much closer to the targeted muscle and you don't have to actually load the back at all pretty much. And I would say as long as you're instructed properly on making sure not to lift your tailbone off of the pad on the eccentric motion, uh, it's actually a very safe exercise. And then you could reintegrate the core into your legs doing some other safer movements versus a barbell back squat. Nothing against a barbell back squat, of course. You're welcome to do it. I'm just saying um, most people shouldn't do it based on their current starting place currently unless they're willing to hire a person to show them how to do a barbell back squat properly. And in-person coaches are going to be really tough to find that are even going to be able to know how to do that properly themselves and plus correct all of those imbalances that a typical average American citizen has uh, before loading the back up with a lot of weight, okay? And I would say aesthetically too, like honestly, I do have really big quads as well. I don't do barbell back squats at all. I mainly focus on hack squats. I do belt squats from time to time and also the leg press, variations of the leg press. Uh, I'm still able to climb mountains and um, do a lot of nature-related stuff and athletic stuff just fine. Of course, I'm not competing in the Olympics, but that's also not my goal. And I found it actually much easier to build size and aesthetic appeal in the quads doing uh, like variations of the leg press, for example, and the hack squat in particular uh, versus doing a, um, a barbell back squat or a barbell front squat, for example. So exercise selection is important. And that is so variable from person to person in terms of what they're competent with and in terms of their injury background as well. Some people, if they had a bad lower back injury, well, some people are never going to be able to return back to doing barbell back squats unless it's very, very light. But then again, you don't, you won't probably get the stimulus you need to really get the muscle to grow 
in that case, maybe. And once again, back pathologies is so variable. What does the person have? A posterior disc bulge, anterior, um, Schmoll's node as well, uh, spondylolisthesis, et cetera, et cetera. Do they have you know, rubbing of the facets that are causing arthritic pain upon extension or what is it? It varies so much. And once again, that's why it's key uh, that you guys understand, especially when taking information from people online, that they never met you personally. And when they don't know you in your exact circumstance, it's basically impossible to give you exact advice on what to do. That's why a lot of people hit a lot of plateaus or get injured following people online. Because once again, even if they're super competent, um, this mean they never met you. So how do they even know what advice to give to you personally? Except, I mean, it's just common sense at that point. Imagine walking into your uh, doctor's office and they don't even talk to you and they're like, here, take this medication. It's like, hey, I actually have knee pain. I don't need an antidepressant. You know, <laughs> I just need a painkiller for my knee or something of that sort, you know? But once again, they don't know your exact circumstance. There are no absolutes in anything health and wellness related. So it varies. So you really have to have the individual in front of you to be able to give them exact advice uh, on what to do. And that's why assessments are so important as well. I typically spend around three hours assessing my clients up front before even beginning a program and then another hour or two on continued assessments during, uh, during the program together, which is typically six months long. So proper exercise selection, we selected that and uh, we covered that. And once again, it's gonna vary from person to person, but it's important to get that right because you wanna pick a vehicle and a tool that's gonna uh, let you accomplish the goal you want to accomplish, okay? So just because this guy's doing something, it's not doesn't mean it's gonna work well for you, obviously, okay? So some people are gonna say, oh, Eugene's full of crap, you can build good quads doing barbell back squats. You can, I'm just saying a lot of these things are important to consider and certain exercises are, certain exercises are obviously far more dangerous than other exercises, but any exercise is dangerous when a person doesn't know what they're doing overall, right? So Lisa, welcome. Hugo, welcome. Give me a second, guys. I'm just going to grab my coffee here. Okay, so that goes on to the next point. So we covered good program design is super important for injury prevention. Proper exercise selection, picking the right tools, the exercises to get you what you want uh, to achieve. And also in terms of program design too, it's important to consider like, you got to be clear on your goals, right? If you're trying to aesthetically improve your physique and have a great looking physique, you want to structure that program that way. And then you want to select those exercises that way too. And one thing I forgot to cover on exercise selection is, you know, the battle between isolation versus integration. There are pluses and minuses of each system. So in integration, for example, let's say you're trying to train your chest, but you're trying to integrate everything, right? You're trying to have good functionality. You do like a standing cable fly or standing cable press or like an alternative, which is what I personally don't like to do is like a stability ball press of some sort, whether it's with dumbbells or dumbbell, dumbbells or barbells, simply because it's a little bit cumbersome to get to set up and I'm I never actually seen it happen. I've never had it happen with me personally, but I'm always afraid the ball will pop, you know? So I try to do standing cable presses. So that's an example of integration. And integration is important to have good biomechanics because your body 
you could divide it into individual muscles for descriptive purposes, but really when it functions throughout real life, you're basically, your body should be viewed as just one big muscle and organism with a lot of passive and active tissue that need to all work in tandem with one another um, to be able to safely move your body and then also allow your body to move external objects as well without getting injured. So when you're doing like a standing chest press, uh, standing cable chest press, for example, or cable fly, which many of you have done, I'm sure, you're integrating your core, your balance, even your calves, your chest, pretty much your whole entire body to be able to stabilize yourself, to be able to push that weight forward, right? But when you're doing, let's say, a pec deck machine, you're seated, okay? You're definitely not activating your legs. Your core can be actually completely relaxed, almost completely relaxed for the most part. And you really just could focus on contracting the chest. There are pluses and minuses of each system. When you do full integration, I find it, it is tougher to get a mind-muscle connection with a specific isolated muscle like the chest. So when you're standing and doing that cable fly, um, or cable press in a standing position, your central nervous system has to flex all of your muscles because it sends these electrical signals to those muscles to coordinate their contraction and relaxation to be able to have you stand upright against gravity, right? And when it's sending out signals to so many different muscles, it's hard to really focus on any one muscle. But when you are seated in a pec deck machine, for example, although you're still using not just your chest, you know, you're going to be using a little bit of your biceps, your rotator cuff, et cetera, et cetera, but you're using way less muscle. So the central nervous system can concentrate more, get you a better mind muscle connection on the targeted muscle group. In this case, the chest. And some, sometimes that is the better solution for some people. Sometimes it's not like, for example, if a person has a lot of, uh, like Larry mentioned, he has, his message right here is this explanation is perfect for me in regards to my recent, Uh, he probably meant to write lower back surgery. So it's tough to know what's what's causing Larry his lower back. Once again, uh, the phrase lower back pain, it's an umbrella term that that almost means nothing. It's kind of like the equivalent of saying, my car doesn't start. Okay, like it could be a million of reasons of why your car isn't starting. It's the same thing with, with lower back pain. So Is the person shear intolerant? Is the person extension intolerant? How about traction intolerant? Compression intolerant? Does he have pain when he bends forward or when he extends back too much? Also, the degree of movement is important to consider too. Does he maybe just have pain in the morning, possibly stenosis that disappears throughout the day or stays throughout the day or is in the morning, disappears throughout the day and comes back at night? There are so many different scenarios That's why assessments are so, so important. And with this example, isolation versus integration, if the person is standing but shear intolerant, meaning when there's pressure like this between the joints, I actually brought this thing. When shear intolerant, meaning uh, let's say the person had an injury in their L5 S1 disc, right? So common. And whenever you have that injury, let's say it's a posterior disc herniation to the left side. Or the right side, whatever. Okay, now the volume in that disc has disappeared a little bit, depending on the severity of the injury, right? And unfortunately, as this thing pops out, let me see. So you can see here, 
we got like a disc bulge to the right side, posterior uh, lateral right side of the back. Over time, if you don't keep aggravating this injury and you find pain-free, um, pain-free movement or pain-free positions, your body will actually metabolize this area on its own and it will disappear. But unfortunately, the material inside the nucleus propulsus, it's kind of like a gel-like substance, is gone, right? Depending on the severity of that, um, of that herniation or protrusion, whatever you want to call it. And the loss of the height of the disc is diminished permanently. That doesn't mean you have to suffer with pain for the rest of your life. It's not true. Uh, and in fact, the large bulk of majorities, even severe back pain clients can recover if they, uh, if they do the proper protocols uh, without having a surgery. Okay. And even McGill would say, you know, 90 plus of 90 plus percent of people that have low back injuries don't even need surgery. Uh, if they're willing to take, have the patients and willing to educate themselves and, you know, find the right people, et cetera, et cetera, to help them recover. So as the disc material, the treated material gets metabolized, the height of the disc is lost. And a lot of times people lose stability in that disc too. So in that case, sometimes with the standing chest press, if the person is extra sensitized, especially coming off of back surgery, a recent back surgery like Larry, that might cause actual pain. So it's important to integrate it, but safely, you know, so possibly use a very light weight, but then you might not be getting the right stimulus. But if you do want to get the right stimulus and not provide that sheer pain, maybe doing a uh, pec tech machine might be right for that given circumstance. And then you can work on reintegrating everything later on, et cetera, et cetera. So it all depends so much. And that's why there are no exact answers. There are no absolutes. And whenever anyone says, just do this one thing, if you have a back problem, just do this one, just stop listening to them. Whether it's from nutrition circles, mental health circles, physical fitness circles, if they say this is the way, that that is an instant red flag. Either the person's very incompetent or they're an egomaniac of some sort and uh, they're kind of very biblical in their interpretation of information and all that stuff. So there is no one way and there are no absolutes. It literally varies so much from person to person. And the only way to give exact things that would probably work is to have that exact person in front of you and do a proper assessment and then give them proper advice. So important. And uh, especially with, with back pain clients, be very careful with um, following anyone online. Okay. It's so variable and an in-depth assessment is needed. Uh, to be able to determine what exactly is causing your back pain and how far ahead in that injury you are, or how far recovered, and then set up a pro proper protocol for there. from there. Huge red flag, once again, if a person says, just eat this and it'll solve everything, or just work out this way and it'll solve everything, or just do this and all your back pain or shoulder or neck pain will disappear. Stop listening to them right away. Not credible source of information at all, um, at all. So, okay, so isolation versus integration, it's up to you. Uh, I do a mix of both, you know, I integrate and I isolate. I find it easier to develop my chest when I isolate, but it doesn't seem to make a difference when I train my back or legs, uh, or when I train my back or arms, for example, and legs for the most part, 
although I do some isolation work for the legs as well, they still seem to grow very easily even with integration. And um, once again, if function and movement is ideal, then you wanna train function and movement to your specific task. So if, let's say you're a construction worker and you need to lift 80 pound bags of cement off the ground, you need to train to be good at that specific movement. You know what I mean? You gotta train exactly for what you're trying to get good at. So if you're trying to be a good swimmer, you gotta go swimming and do supplementary routines that would help you with your swimming. But first, like I mentioned, that's why it's so important to be very crystal clear about your goals, right? Because without that, you're just doing random stuff. And um, if you're doing, if you have no direction, you get lost easily, right? So you gotta first be crystal clear on your goals, do a very thorough assessment. That's our next topic here. Topic three is a, is a proper assessment, which takes around upon first meeting a client, I'm telling you, even pretty healthy people, around three hours. That's how much I spend with my clients before starting any programs. Personally, if I go to the doctors or I go to anyone else and they're doing like a quick five minute Q&A, like run the other way. There is the, the human, uh, human health and human physical and mental health is, is so complicated. And how a person arrived at problem ABC is so variable. You need to know a tremendous amount of information about that person because more times than not, it's the person that's causing their own problems. So if you don't change the person, the problems keep coming back, which maybe is what the health professional wants because then they have a revolving door for a 1K client that never gets better and they keep coming back for more and more services. And um, that way you can just keep billing them and making a tremendous amount of money off of them while the client never gets better, which is most of the time what happens with the medical drug approach, chiropractic, um, et cetera, et cetera. They just focus on symptoms, even, even personal training a lot of times too. They just focus on symptoms and never really changing the person that caused all the problems and educating them on how to, uh, how to, how to create that change in a sustainable and realistic way for that, uh, for that given person. So proper assessments are key. I'm telling you guys, if you go to a, a coach, a trainer, huge red flag, if they're not spending at least like three hours assessing you, if they're not thoroughly assessing, um, your movement, uh, thoroughly talking to you about your goals and having objective ways to measure and track how those goals are progressing. Uh, Hernandez, good to see you. Thank you for doing this live. Hey, thank you for jumping in. Your time is spent too. Uh, Raul and Severin, let me know if I pronounced your name correct. I'm sure I got that one wrong. Uh, and then we have also Christo, good to see you. Thanks for jumping in everyone. So proper assessments are key and super important, right? And if you're going to a coach and they're like just having you sign an NDA and doing a quick Q&A and then throwing you into a boot camp class with 20 other people, um, I would personally not, not sign up for that. If you're going to your doctor and they spend like five minutes upon first meeting you chatting to you about only symptoms and not how you got to those health problems and then how you could resolve those health problems through proper holistic coaching, I would also not go to that doctor either. Uh, same thing with chiropractic. If, if you have like back pain or neck pain and you're going in there, just quickly adjusting you and showing you one or two stretches and not 
evaluating your posture in detail, your movement in detail, talking to you about your workstation and possibly what needs to change there, how much load you're putting on your body inside and outside the gym during everyday living plus working out among a myriad of other topics. Also, you got to run the other way. Um, it's up to you. So this explanation of perfect knee. Yes, lower back. Okay, cool, Larry. I got to do another one on, on lower back pathologies. I actually, um, I spent like a few years learning about spine pathologies and in particular lower back pathologies, even took, which I think would be a good uh, resource for you, Stuart McGill's uh, low back pathology three-part series course, uh, which I spent about a year doing, but highly recommended, especially if you're recovering from, from surgery. Super important. Uh, because the chances of injury is still pretty high after surgery if the person isn't thoroughly educated on on proper movement, spine hygiene, and ideally diet too, which has an impact on on having the person's low back recover quite a bit and a couple of other lifestyle variables. So proper assessments are key, super important, okay? Uh, and I'm telling you, it's just a, a really good assessment takes at least like th three hours. So I do like three hours and then also like an hour to follow up during the program as well. So a total of four to five four to five hours of total assessment time. Plus like follow-ups are important, uh, weekly follow-ups, having objective goals, et cetera, et cetera. All that stuff's important. And the reason of how it ties into avoiding injuries, because once again, you gotta know the specific person's circumstance in order to be able to give them good advice so they don't injure themselves. Uh, and that's like super important, okay? Another important thing to consider when avoiding injuries is uh, biological adaptation. And what this, it's just a fancy, fancy phrase that means getting, giving your tissue enough time to adapt to certain stimuli or exercises and not, and not rushing the process. Uh, this is super important. And this means basically giving your body enough recovery time. And that goes into having really good program design and really good exercise selection that are specifically tailored to the individual. And uh, a good way to do that is to obviously have enough rest in between workouts um, and stuff of that sort. So biological adaptation is super important and takes a very long time and has to be approached in a conservative way, especially when dealing with biological adaptation of passive tissue, such as the discs, uh, the bone, uh, the ligaments, the tendons, et cetera, et cetera, okay? And if you rush that and if you surpass your biological tipping point, of what that tissue can handle, then an injury will happen and stuff stuff of that sort. So a few other important things to consider are uh, diet and hydration are huge because the, the worse your diet is, the more prone to injuries you will be, okay? And then also you're just not gonna be looking your best and not really get the most out of your gym workouts if your diet really isn't on point. And in terms of what you be, what you could should be eating, it's once again, it's impossible for anyone to tell you, even if they're super smart online, uh, because once again, they never met you. They don't know your goals. They don't know your current digestive health um, of what you can or can't handle, uh, all that stuff. Even maybe your economic status, status as well in terms of what you could afford it might be important to consider as well. And that's why a lot of... Uh, you got to be careful with following a lot of advice online. No absolutes. But some general things like I personally do are um, I make sure to eat pasture-raised meats, you know, only 
for my protein source and wild fish. And then also deer, like for example, a typical week for me, two days out of the week, I have elk, uh, 100% pasture raised elk, which I get from forceofnature.com. And then two days a week, I have 100% pasture raised deer. And then two days a week, I would have like 100% pasture raised and 100% grass fed bison or beef or something of that sort. And then maybe one or two days out of the week, I would have wild fish, some type of wild fish variety. And then with that, I have like a bunch of organic vegetables that I mix, a lot of mushroom varieties, um, also jasmine white rice, mainly for the calories and the carbohydrates, and also just a lot of water. Water is going to be key for muscle uh, development, for skin quality, hair quality. It is the most important nutrient out of all the nutrients. It, uh, it powers every single cell in your body. And it hydrates those discs for those people with low back issues, you know, because those discs in the low back are mostly water and, and collagen for the most part. So it helps keep them plump. Obviously, when you're dehydrated, the first place your body gets uh, water or liquids from are your passive tissue, your discs, your tendons, your ligaments, etc., etc. Also, the muscle density will look much flatter too for those people that are worried about their aesthetics and having good dense muscle. If you're well hydrated, you notice the muscle just looks a lot fuller and bigger. So it gives you a more like muscular appearance and stuff of that sort. It'll help you with your digestion too and keep you regular as another side, as another uh, byproduct and a myriad of other things. It's just overall a good idea to stay well hydrated. I try to drink around um, three to four liters a day. I get it from my Berkey. It's always filtered, never from tap. And I definitely try never to drink out of plastic ever. That's huge. Okay. So um, once again, diet's super important because that's what rebuilds your tissue. So if your diet is poor, your tissue will be weak. And, um, and thus, you'll be more, more prone to injuries. And even if you don't get injured, um, just your results wouldn't be that great if your diet is really not on point and you don't have a good understanding of sourcing, sourcing food correctly and stuff of that sort. I love biodynamic food that's raised, uh, that's grown on a biodynamic farms or regenerative farms. Um, you guys can check out websites like americangrassfed.org. Natural Grocers is a great uh, grocery store to get a lot of those meats and products from if you have that in your area. Uh, great companies are, I'm getting literally $0 from this. So these are just companies I shop from not biased at all. azgrassraisedbeef.com is great. Um, like the number five, barbeef.com is great as well. I actually worked on that ranch uh, to do research for my second book for about well over a year. Amazing uh, facility that basically sells, um, amazing ranch rather, not facility, that basically sells wild beef. So the owner, Frank Fitzpatrick, doesn't clip the bulls, doesn't dehorn them, doesn't give them any vaccines, any medicines, no antibiotics, no beta agonists, no steroids, literally nothing. Uh, they're just out there in the wild. They're eating grass 100% of the time, a little bit of alfalfa, like the last few weeks before processing, uh, which is basically just another form of forage. And that's it. It's just natural wild beef like you would run into if you ran into some cattle randomly out in the wild. And um, that was a great resource. I buy, I still buy a lot of beef from him as well. 
and stuff of that sort. You want to like, personally, I stay away from a lot of the factory farm stuff. Um, a lot of grain fed meats I stay away from as well. You could have them from time to time, like chicken, turkey, pork for sure. I try to eat mostly just in terms of meats and protein products, 100% uh, grass fed products that are once again, fed a species specific diet. That's really important because if the health and the nutritional composition of the animal is optimized, then when you eat that, you inherit that quality as well. And that's going to show in you too. And I eat like that all year round. I rarely, rarely eat out and I'm able to stay very lean all year round. I'm almost like 39 years old, never used steroids, hormones, um, performance enhancing drugs, peptides, none of that my whole life. And I don't have any joint pain at all. Uh, my blood work looks great. Uh, my testosterone is just very, very high. Of course, there's more to it than just diet. There are a lot of lifestyle variables, internal and external variables to consider. But just to give you an idea, I mean, if you're eating like a human being, your, your health is going to be pretty damn solid because that's one of the huge, outside of just chronic stress, that's one of the biggest downfalls of the average American, just an extremely poor diet and a huge disconnection between what healthy eating really is. Because if you're eating healthy, you're just not going to be overweight. You're not going to have skin issues. If you're genuinely eating healthy for your type, you're not going to have skin issues, um, poor quality hair, poor quality nails, poor quality blood work, uh, you know, saggy boobs, big gut. You're just not going to have that. Aaron. It's really tough to uh, especially eat in uh, a caloric surplus if you're just eating single ingredient whole food like the broccoli, the steak, you know, really tough. I never see, I never seen a single person 17 years become obese eating that way or gain any noticeable excess body fat ever. Um, so there you have it. Some other things that will definitely help you with injury prevention are just the obvious things. But once again, uh, also one other thing I have to say, whenever I start talking about my diet, a, not a lot of people, but a decent amount of people say, ah, oh, it's too expensive. It's not too expensive. Trust me, the average American is spending eight to $16,000 a year on just eating out and alcohol and, and travel and a bunch of other non-essential expenses, eight to 16,000 a year. Okay. So that gives you way more than enough money to shop exactly how I'm shopping. No problem. And this food gives you lasting, lasting change that you get to enjoy daily, like great hair, great skin. You get to enjoy daily, uh, fit, firm looking, sexy looking body you get to enjoy daily. When you go out, like, what are you getting for that $20 meal? You're just getting a bunch of toxins and industrial seed oils. And now you look chubby, your skin looks weird and you're blaming it on your genetics or something silly like that. So definitely have the money. Don't use that excuse for sure. Look over your accounting and you will see you have way more than enough money, way more, uh, pretty much almost everyone. Uh, just to give you an idea, um, a few, uh, a few days ago, I went to Heb. It's kind of like, um, a grocery store with very, uh, affordable, affordable food, right? Just to get something really quick. And I walked in there and pretty much the majority of people there were very obese, right? And you look at their shopping carts and what do you see? Just a bunch of processed food. But if you look up the price of that processed food, the markup is quite high. So for example, a bag of potato chips 
versus the two potatoes that are used to make that bag. What do you think is going to be more expensive? Bag of potato chips, probably like five bucks. I never bought potato chips. I don't know how much they are these days, but let's say five bucks. I guarantee you those two whole potatoes are like, I don't know, 50 cents or something like that. So look how the contrast and difference, okay? And I'm looking at these people's cart. They're very obese, very sick. And you look at them in the checkout aisle and they're spending hundreds of dollars on food per week. But it's like cheap, processed junk. And at Heb, like they sell, it's like factory farm meat, of course, but it's a huge upgrade from processed food. They sell like a, you know, pound New York steak for like seven bucks. And you can buy cheaper cuts too for like way cheaper. And you can just eat that stuff and just the chicken and just the frozen vegetables, for example, and just water and be freaking ripped and shredded your whole life. And it's going to, I guarantee you, cost you maybe like 90 bucks a week, maybe less. That's for the amount I eat. So you have to, uh, so for example, what I spend is about, let's say, 150 to you know, like 150, I would say on average per week on food. And I eat close to like 3,500 calories a day. So most people aren't going to be eating that quantity. Say on average, it's 2,000 calories a day. Even if you were to shop like me, just getting all pasture-raised meats, um, all organic vegetables, et cetera, et cetera. You're looking at, I mean, realistically, five, five to 6,000 a year. Five to 6,000 a year. And it's the same people that say they don't have money for that, but they do have eight to 16,000 a year for, you know, travel and stuff like that. And it's kind of, they're a bit lost on their priorities, okay? Uh, and stuff of that sort. So I would say, you know, optimize your mental and physical health first. And then if you and spend the money on that, and then if you have any remaining money, spend it on other stuff. But you got to remember, most important thing is your mental and physical health. I know a lot of people say that's the case, but their actions speak differently. And um, what are you going to do if you have serious low back pain or you're depressed, chronically depressed? Your life sucks all of a sudden. And the state of your health basically sets the ceiling for how happy you can be in life. So even if you're doing super well, let's say financially, you're like at an A, but your health is at like a D minus, your quality of life is actually at a D minus. So anyways, something to think about. So other things to consider, sleep, right? Sleep is going to really help you prevent, all, just improve the quality of your life in general, improve your appearance a tremendous amount, improve your mood a tremendous amount, um, definitely give you way more energy, obviously, but it's also going to help you prevent injuries because once again, biological adaptation is important. And if you're not getting proper sleep, that tissue isn't being repaired uh, and if you're under a rigorous training schedule, that just compounds the problem even more and thus increasing your chances of injury a tremendous amount. So, and a lot of these things, you have to remember, they're easy to understand. And this is where a lot of people get confused. They're like, I get it. I know you get it. And I know you understand it. But how well are you actually doing this seven days a week, all year round? I would say almost no one. Uh, because nine out of 10 American adults in America right now are metabolically sick. Um, it's estimated by 2030, which is right around the corner, 50% of the American, 50% of Americans will be obese. That's like obese. And, um, if you count obese and overweight, it's probably close to 90% of Americans at that point. No one is doing any of this stuff. I guarantee it. 
if they're very overweight. Not even close, because there's no way you would be overweight eating whole organic food or sleeping well and and doing a lot of this stuff we mentioned here, moreover, like a couple of other things. So stress management is huge too. Um, just being conscious of how the central nervous system has evolved to function is super important. So remember, if you have a bunch of low-grade chronic stresses, like deadlines, a lot of deadlines, nagging boss, nagging coworkers, maybe some financial stress, plus you have major stresses as well uh, combined, that's the worst possible scenario. Then your body produces a tremendous amount of cortisol. And if you're training really hard, it's just going to produce more cortisol and run you down into the ground even more. Plus, stress tends to be mentally distracting too. So just that alone could increase the chances of injury. So that could be that should be dealt with thoroughly, et cetera, et cetera, which, mean, which might mean in some cases, not every case and everyone is different, but it might mean you got to quit your job. You got to get something more sustainable. Uh, you might have to move states if you're living in like a super expensive area. You might have to get a re remote job and just move to a different state so you can... Um, you know, free up your financial stress of some sort, et cetera, et cetera. So a lot of these things are important to consider if you want to avoid injuries and just optimize the quality of your life in general. So another important thing to consider is just being really good and intuitive with listening to the pain teacher. And Americans especially are beyond horrible at doing this. They've numbed themselves out their whole entire life with various medical drugs. Oh, I have depression. You know, instead of learning from this and figuring out, I've done already a detailed video on it, figuring out, you know, how I could improve my core values, my physical health, my gut health, um, get more in line with my inner star, et cetera, et cetera. I'm just going to take, I'm just going to max out on Xanax, you know, uh, which is super silly in my opinion. And I've never seen anyone get better uh, just taking the psychiatric route without doing a tremendous amount of the inner work necessary to really create that change to get rid of the depression. Never seen anyone get better. In fact, I just seen them increase their chances of suicide even more personally, okay? Which is, um, should be criminal to practice that way, but it is what it is. If there's a customer, there's a drug dealer, right? So, um, listening to pain teachers, super important. So if you have, let's say, a nagging shoulder issue or back issue, you want to listen to that. And you want to figure out, like, what is causing this nagging issue? And how could I change that, et cetera, et cetera. You don't want to be working through it. If you feel tired, for example, that's kind of a pain teacher. That's your body's way of telling you you need to sleep, rest, stop throwing so much at your schedule and doing so much. It, it doesn't mean... It's not saying I need an energy drink or I need coffee. It's saying rest, sleep, please, I'm tired. And the more you don't listen to all these pain teachers, and many Americans have many of them, gut issues, mental issues, musculoskeletal issues, central nervous system issues. They just drown themselves out with drugs. They don't listen. They drown themselves out with coffee and energy drinks and workaholism, etc., etc., and they wonder why they look so terrible and feel so terrible year after year. It's, it's not your age. It's just you're living your life unsustainably and not wisely. 
and you're not listening to the pain teacher. And it's only going to get louder over the years if you don't listen. So you don't listen to the high blood pressure or something else today. Well, you got cancer tomorrow. Good luck with that one. So let's say those are good. There are a couple of other things to cover, but those are great injury prevention strategies. Let's cover some things like if you've already been injured, what you can do. So first and foremost, if an injury has already happened, David is in the house. My uh, So David's writing. Um, by the way, everyone, uh, David is one of my clients, so it's a little bit biased here. But I think we started two months ago. Let me know if I'm right, David, maybe a month ago, maybe two months ago. Um, but he's turning 60 and uh, so having lost, so has dropped significantly, having lost 40 pounds. Okay, so David has lost 40 pounds. I thought for some reason it was like 30 pounds or something. I looked at his program today and he made it into the 280s, which is a great milestone. Uh, David is turning 60 and the goal is to have him be at 250 by, I believe, February. I'll have to check again. But just to give you guys an idea, it's never too late to start weight loss, especially fat loss is easy at any age if you do it right, okay? Uh, so even muscle gain is possible. Like I have that 79-year-old client who made uh, amazing results and he was just working out at home with just dumbbells and a pull-up bar. I don't even have him going to the gym. Uh, but yeah, so David, for example, he went hiking like two weeks into the program and accidentally injured his foot. And we just focused on lifestyle and nutrition variables. And he was still able to lose around 30 to 40 pounds um, within two months or two and a half months. I forget the dates exactly. Just to show you guys how far that can go when you just kind of like eat a normal natural diet, which is huge. So, and yes, uh, he mentioned that his lower back pain has dropped significantly while losing weight. For some people, their excess weight is creating too many compression and shear penalties on the back, also torsion penalties possibly. And that could be causing your that person's back pain. So in this case, it was, it was David's issue. He noticed as his weight went down, his back pain went down as well. Uh, that could be the case in some, some people's cases. So when you already have an injury, um, it's basically when you have pain of some sort, let's say back pain or shoulder pain, uh, it's basically your body's way of telling you uh, that you need to stop, like doing whatever you're doing. And depending on the severity of the injury, um, it's going to vary, right? But let's say, let's let's cover the degrees first. So let's say you're doing like an overhead press and you feel like a slight kind of wear and tear or pinching sensation in the shoulder. So I would recommend not working through that. But try different angles of elbow positioning. A lot of times when people have their elbows way flared out and they're pressing up, it will cause a lot of pain. But when they bring their elbows in tighter, it takes the pain away. Also, it just depends on what's causing that pain as well. Sometimes if the area is very achy and overused, overused, you would have to look into your program design. Maybe you're doing way too many pressing motions and you don't have enough time for that recovery or don't have enough time uh, for that biological adaptation. So it's too much wear and tear, not enough recovery, and that will cause pain even if you are doing the technique correctly. There could be so many, uh, so many things to consider there, but just know that when you already have pain, it's your body's way of telling you need to stop or maybe not stop, but significantly change whatever you're doing so the pain goes away. Definitely don't work through the pain. That's very important. 
Um, and then also in terms of the pain, when you do have the injury, so we had two low back client or two low back um, individuals here. One of them is a client, one of them is not. But it's important to once again, do a thorough assessment. So when you do have uh, an injury, like I took McGill's um, three-part serious course, I mean, it takes like close to, with the Q&A, and the actual mechanical assessment takes close to like two hours to thoroughly figure out what's causing the person's low back pain. And then the degree of which uh, the pain they're under and then how long it would take to recover from that. So if they're in a tremendous amount of pain, then the first thing to do is to desensitize that area by identifying the pain triggers, avoiding the pain triggers until the area is desensitized, and then also educating the person on proper movement and proper spine hygiene, for example. And then once the area is desensitized enough, then slowly reintegrate exercise. Um, I would most definitely recommend hiring someone for that. Definitely don't try to do it on your own, unless once again, you're gonna do a lot of education on your own and become your own mechanic, which needs to go way above and beyond just watching your favorite Instagram personality. You need to be reading books in detail. I actually have I'm trying to get a bookshelf here. I actually have probably a bunch of these books here, which I can show you guys. But I did mention them in a couple of other lives regarding back pain. I'll post that in the comments section. Uh, but it's important to read those thoroughly, learn the anatomy of the low back and all connective tissue, the nerves going into the low back as well, and all the passive and active tissues surrounding that area and how they function in, in, as a team to stabilize the spine. And uh, stuff of that sort. So another thing that I personally avoid is taking like anti-inflammatories when I'm injured, simply because inflammation is your body's way of healing the tissue. So if you take an outside source, it could interrupt actually the uh, the healing process and stuff of that sort. So there's so much more to cover, but guys, I hope you, that has a good thorough understanding of how to avoid injuries, right? And if you follow a lot of those tips, I'm pretty sure your chances are uh, going to be pretty low. So uh, that's all I wanted to cover today. It's good to see everyone. I saw David jumped in last minute. And thank you for jumping in. And I hope everyone is, um, is doing well. Okay. Have a good weekend. Take care.